Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm just thrilled to welcome Miranda Motter, Senior Vice President of State Affairs and Policy at America's Health Insurance Plans, also known as AHIP, to talk about Medicaid redeterminations, a topic I feel like we talk about all of the time. But right now, today, we're going to talk about it from a national perspective. Miranda, welcome. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me. I'm thrilled to be part of Sam Says Podcast. And I'm excited because as I sort of alluded to, we're talking about Medicaid redeterminations all of the time. And obviously here on Sam Says, we mostly talk about that from an Illinois lens because that's what we focus on. But what we recognize is that this isn't something that's happening just in Illinois. It's nationwide and we have a real opportunity to learn best practices and um, cautionary tales from everybody who's going through it um, at the same time. Absolutely. So, Samantha, you're exactly right. This is massive. It's a massive undertaking and it's unprecedented. So maybe I can just quick take a quick moment to explain Medicaid redetermination. So what is it and you know why should listeners care? So during the COVID pandemic, as you well know, it was incredibly important that people have access to health insurance coverage. And so the federal government gave states additional federal dollars in exchange for people keeping people covered under Medicaid until the public health emergency ended. And so what this meant was that states had to pause a process that they did every year where they made sure everyone on Medicaid was eligible for Medicaid. But last year, that late last year, Congress told states that they could restart their Medicaid eligibility process and when they could essentially cancel Medicaid coverage for people that weren't eligible. And so listeners will hear this referred to as Medicaid redeterminations or Medicaid unwinding. And because of this more, more than three-year pause, it's not only ma- a massive undertaking, but it's unprecedented. That's exactly right. And I think that's important to note is... It's always been difficult um, because what often gets caught up in, there's no question that only members who are eligible for Medicaid should be on Medicaid. That is universal. Everyone agrees. But what has always been our challenge is how do we make sure that that's the those are the only folks that are losing coverage in this process. And historically, in Illinois, about 50% of the membership we lose is just because of paperwork. And so how do we do this in a way where we ensure that people who aren't eligible are transitioned to other healthcare and people who are eligible stay and no one gets caught up in the middle just because of paperwork. And so that's always a challenge, but now we're multiplying it by three years. And so it's just a larger scale. There are more people to reach. um, And there's there's a higher cost, if you will, if we get it wrong. Absolutely. So, you know, we talked earlier about massive, right? And you said that this is a massive undertaking. So, you know, what does that actually mean? Nearly 95 million people in states all across the country are going to have to have their Medicaid eligibility checked or verified. And so when we also talk about massive, we also have to remember how big this undertaking actually is and how high the stakes are. 
right? You talked about that in terms of making sure that people stay covered. So remember states, so states and county workers and in many places in the country haven't done this work in more than three years. And the people covered under Medicaid haven't gone through this process in more than three years. And in fact, in the, over the last three years, those that have, are covered have been told, you don't need to do anything, right? You're covered, you're good. And when I say the stakes are high, what do, you know, what do we mean by that? So people will lose Medicaid coverage, even if they're me- eligible for Medicaid. You, t- you reference that. People will become uninsured after they've lost Medicaid coverage because they're not eligible and they're having trouble finding other kinds of coverage to um, provide health insurance for them. Hospitals, doctors, pharmacists, behavioral health providers, and many other care providers will be financially impacted because patients that they are providing care for today won't have health insurance tomorrow. So, you know, this is really, you know, I don't think we can, any of us can say and understate the massiveness, the unprecedented nature of this, and really impacting um, a whole variety of individuals. And obviously, most important, the individual that could lose coverage. Absolutely. And I think it's important to note, too, that this isn't happening all at once. It is a year-long process. Um, Every state's doing it a little bit different. uh, And that gives us an opportunity to learn best practices, to learn cautionary tales. But it is important to also know that it gives us time to tweak things. When I, uh, you know, am talking to legislators or talking to community-based organizations, I'm always really careful to outline, like, this is how we're doing it today. Mm-hmm. And this is what we know today. And my suspicion is come September, come December, come February, things are going to probably look a little different, not because I can highlight what the current challenge is, but simply because we're going to learn as we go through this. And if we're doing public policy right, we're going to make tweaks along the way. And I think we've already sort of seen some of that from the federal government recently, where they've offered additional flexibilities to states based off of what um, they've seen. And I think AHIP had some role in that. And and I know that AHIP is talking about Medicaid redeterminations nonstop. You guys have really been a leader in this space. And I think it's because the Medicaid health plans recognize what this is going to do to our neighbors, to our community, but also to the broader healthcare ecosystem. Because we all go to those same hospitals. We all go to those same doctor's offices. And so while we talk about this from a Medicaid perspective and to Medicaid, this is massive, but in healthcare, it doesn't stay in one sort of program. It's a ripple effect. And so it has the ability to disrupt our entire ecosystem if we don't get this right. And if we don't work collaboratively uh, to minimize those negative impacts. So can you sort of talk about what AHIP is doing and how you're prioritizing collaboration to ensure that this unprecedented, as you've used that word many times, this unprecedented process is as successful as possible. Yeah, Sam, you know, I think the 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 reference into in terms of, you know, what we're doing today is today and that this is constantly evolving points to how important collaboration and partnerships are. Partnerships are always important, but here it's critically important. And so communities all across this country will need to help, 
they're going to need to help and engage to make sure that people stay covered in their communities. Estimates are, and you know this very well, that between 8 and 24 million people, so individuals, families, kids, could lose Medicaid coverage during this process. And so health insurance providers are taking actions to help people understand this process through those partnerships and those collaborations that you talked about. So let me just give you a couple of examples. So we're continuing to build awareness. We know that this is incredibly important because quite frankly, most Medicaid enrollees, around 65%, are unaware that states are now able to terminate their coverage if they're not eligible. So working alongside a federal and state agencies to urge Medicaid enrollees to take action, they've got to take action now. You talk about this all the time. They need to update their information with their state Medicaid programs. They need to watch for mail, emails, texts, whatever ways that the state is communicating with them on how to renew their coverage. And they need to reply. They need to respond. They need to provide the contact information. They need to provide the, the, the information that the states are requesting. And if they're not eligible, they need to act to find new coverage. So another way we're actively working is using data to support this work. In addition to using the data that you know you and I are seeing every single day released not only in Illinois, but in states all across the country, we're trying to augment that information with other data to help pinpoint and target engagement. A recent example is a report that AHIP released with NORC that provides state-by-state -state information about where people that lose Medicaid coverage have access to other kinds of coverage. So like employer-sponsored coverage or marketplace coverage. I'll tell you an important learning from this report, and I think it was quite honestly surprising. I was surprised by this, was that in most states, more than 50% of people that will lose Medicaid coverage will have access to employer-sponsored coverage. So that's important because employers, HR departments, agents, and brokers will also need to understand Medicaid redeterminations, a process that they may not traditionally be paying attention to. They may have employees that will have lost Medicaid coverage and they're going to need to enroll in their coverage. And then they're going to also need to understand what that coverage looks like and means for them. We're also working with community-based organizations, pharmacies, provider um, organizations like primary care doctors, pediatric care providers, as I talked about, the importance of making sure that kids don't lose coverage to help making sure that people stay covered engaging in those communities with those workers and those providers that have those relationships on the ground is so critically important. Um, I would also say that we're in real time, and you talked about this, Sam, trying to identify barriers and obstacles and process improvements, and then working with state and federal governments to address those. Again, we're all trying to stay focused on just making sure that people stay covered. Oh, I love so much of that. And I want to like highlight a few things because I do think that it's not always fully understood that for people who are no longer eligible for Medicaid, they often have other options. And we've been given some flexibilities um, and, and some support to really try to close those gaps, to do those warm handoffs if it's over to the exchange. But to your point about businesses and employers really understanding 
what's going on and HR departments recognizing this isn't going to be, it's not like Medicare where it happens all at once. You're going to have employees that lose coverage in August and then some different ones maybe in September and October. And it's this rolling process. And what does that mean? And sort of how do we make sure that they get onto their employer-sponsored health coverage in a timely fashion with um, without disruption. And so that's a real opportunity to sort of learn what does that look like? We are able to connect and do warm handoffs over to the exchange here in Illinois, which I think is, is wonderful. And we're getting data from the state to say these members lost coverage due to ineligibility. And we're allowed to outreach to them and make sure they know about the exchange and they know that they have an open enrollment and that that period is limited. They can't, you know, in six months, well, in six months, we'll be in regular open enrollment, but they can't just sort of hold on to it. They have to do it in a sort of timely fashion, and we can help them through that process. And they're often eligible for subsidies that are going to help support that. So a lot of different options, a lot of players there on that you're not eligible any longer component. And so that's exciting. And then the other piece that's, I'm going to say exciting because I'm a, an eternal optimist, is that healthcare is a place where there are a lot of competing interests. And we don't always agree. You know, it's rare to have a situation where the hospitals, the health plans, the pharmacies, the docs, even the drug manufacturers are all saying, well, you know, I think we all have the same vested interest here. And when that does occur, it's kind of exciting. And so we have this opportunity because there's, it's massive. It's a massive undertaking and anything big, there's always, there's challenges, but there's an opportunity there too. And so at the federal level, at the national level, there's this coalition working on Medicaid redeterminations and working in collaboration to strengthen the process, to try to get it right. And AHIP is a part of that. And I think we've already seen, as I sort of alluded to earlier, some early success there where the, the federal government's come back and said, we've already given flexibilities. Let's even expand them further or clarify them. Um, maybe it was already their intent, but let's make it really crystal clear to states like this is what you can do. And can you sort of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the uh, Connecting to Coverage Coalition, which you mentioned, Sam, is a diverse group of organizations led by AHIP and, and really collectively representing millions of people with Medicaid coverage. So uh, a part of this coalition are uh, organizations that represent people with disabilities, care providers, the hospitals, the pediatric doctors, the pharmacies that you mentioned, employer-related groups, health insurance providers, we all came together with the singular goal, as you said, to make sure that people stay covered so they know what the process is, they know what they need to do, and that there's this real uh, time process of sharing best practices and information. So in March, the Connecting to Coverage Coalition launched. And as I said, in real time, uh, they are sharing best practices. They're sharing ideas on how we need to make sure that people stay covered. They're sharing ideas about how to actually get people to engage at the community level. So I'd really encourage any of the listeners that are um, interested in um, visiting the website, www.connectingtocoverage.org. It's chocked full of information uh, and really toolkits that can be used and taken and tailored 
into communities all across the country. You talked also about CM, the flexibilities uh, that CMS provided. We know, um, as in here in uh, the state of Illinois, but also all across the country, Medicaid managed care plans are deeply supporting the states in these efforts. They're deeply connecting to their members that they serve. Uh, they are trying to make sure that they understand what they need to do and, and helping them where permitted um, do those warm handoffs, do the connections. The new flexibilities that CMS just recently announced really provide states the opportunity to further leverage all of those important partnerships that they have with the Medicaid managed care organizations, giving them a stronger role in many instances. And so some of those flexibilities um, are they allow the NCOs to conduct that outreach to the enrollees. And we know in many instances, those NCOs have that great relationship through the care managers and the care providers on the ground. So they know where the enrollees are and how to reach them, supporting them through that process, providing greater time for that outreach before disenrollment. You talked about how important that is. Also optimizing presumptive eligibility. So in instances where somebody's coverage may be discontinued to allow that person to get reconnected to coverage through different kinds of provider contacts. Implementing thought and re statement policies. We know many states as individuals are coming off the Medicaid roles and coverage, they need to be reinstated. So really giving flexibility is in those restatement uh, policies and then optimizing what we call ex parte renewal rates. So uh, the ability for people to be renewed without having to uh, individually uh, provide paperwork, uh, or but it really allows states to optimize information that they have uh, to remain, uh, to allow people to remain covered. All of those things are really incredibly important. Absolutely. And, and before I let you go, because those are just so important, I want to like wrap this up with what does this look like on the ground? And so we here at I'm Hip, and I know you guys at AHIP, we're always talking about when we talk about Medicaid, you can't and when you talk about healthcare broadly, you can't talk about it without also talking about social determinants of health, those factors that influence healthcare outcomes, but sort of sit outside of traditional healthcare space. And I feel like there's such an intersection here between how do we get Medicaid redeterminations right? How do we address our social influencers of health? And how do we sort of braid it all together. And I think AHIP is sort of doing some of this work and it's it's fascinating. Can you sort of talk about that a little bit, Miranda? Absolutely. So uh, the social determinants of health or social influencers of health, as you um, reference them, we know that they're the social economic conditions about where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play, where we age. And they include things like financial, social, and educational aspects of a person's life. All of those things impact our healthcare. And so, you know, social determinants of health could mean inadequate access to nutritious food, lack of affordable housing, lack of convenient, efficient, or reliable transportation, limited opportunities for education, meaningful employment, limited broadband access. We saw these things really play out in real time in COVID. And as you said, there's such a great, um, uh, learning and information that uh, we can take as we're working on redeterminations. So we better understand now that, you know, both through research and experience, the significant impact that all these factors have on the ability to individuals' ability to make healthy choices, access quality medical care, 
and really live healthy lives. So I'll tell you just real quick, you know, when I was president and CEO of the Ohio Association of Health Plans, I remember talking to a set of Ohio policymakers about the work that the Medicaid managed care plans were doing. And one of the plans shared a story about a visit that a care manager made to a home of an individual. The care manager looked around, opened the refrigerator door, and actually saw that there wasn't any food in the house. Not having food explained a lot about the struggles that that person was having with their health care. And that health um, care manager was immediately able to connect that person to a food source, which in turn helped improve that person's health. So delivering ready meals is just one example, but doing other things like connecting to safe and secure housing, addressing social isolation, which we all know was a challenge during COVID, providing screening and referrals, non-emergency transportation to help individuals get to and from medical appointments. How incredibly important is that? And really meeting those social needs is life-changing for so many. Absolutely. I think that's just like the perfect place to end of just how we are trying to meet the moment in so many different ways. We are not taking this one-size-fits-all approach. We're collaborating. We're acknowledging where people are. We're trying to take advantage of flexibilities that the federal government has given us, and we're going to learn lessons as we go. And hopefully as we come out of the challenges that we're sort of facing right now, we have stronger Medicaid programs across across the country and have learned lessons. And more than anything, there's no doubt we'll have a stronger collaborative um, community. So thank you so much, Miranda, for your time. And you're just such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to join us today. Thank you, Sam. So appreciate you and all the things that you're doing and the plans you're doing here in the state of Illinois. Thank you. And to our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us and AHIP on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam Says. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, be well and stay safe.